We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5 today. If you want to turn to Matthew 5, we're just going to look at verses 11 and 12. If you're using those blue Bibles in front of you, the Pew Bibles, it's page 810, Matthew chapter 5. When we ordered those blue Bibles, we, we knew when we built the building we needed new pew Bibles. And uh, so we picked those out very, very carefully. We ordered them. And they came in big boxes. And along with the boxes with all of those Bibles, there was a box that looked like it had been run over. Uh, it was ripped open and it was beaten down. And inside that box were these Bibles. We had a whole case of these. And it's the same translation you've got there. The, the print is a little smaller and it's paperback, but the pages pages were fine. The covers were kind of bent up. I don't know if you can see the black marks. There were a couple of covers that looked like they had actually been run over. They had tire tracks on them. And so we called the company we got the Bibles from and said, what's okay? we love the Bibles we ordered, but what's with the other box? And they tracked it down. They said, oh, that was sent to you by mistake. They said, that was, that was a ruined shipment, and it literally had been run over. And uh, they must have accidentally put that in with your order. Sorry, you don't have to send them back to us. You don't owe us anything for them. You can just keep them. And so we did the only logical thing, and we gave them to the youth group, you know, because you might as well, right? Uh, But it got me to thinking, I mean, all all the pages are in here. All the words are in here. The the only problem is the covers are a little scuffed up, and, you know, they've got a few stains on them here and there, and a few bent, uh, a few bent parts. Some of them, the covers were ripped off, but... But what qualifies as a ruined Bible? What does it take to to ruin a Bible? I don't know how many of you would be familiar with the name Ravi Zacharias, if that's a name that's familiar to some of you. Ravi's an amazing preacher, an amazing evangelist, an amazing apologist. That means that he travels around and he defends the Christian faith. He debates atheists and and Muslims and and other people and, and just really makes an incredible point for the for, the faith, for faith in Jesus Christ. An incredible plea for faith in Jesus Christ. Ravi tells the story that back in 1971, he was asked to come preach to the Christians in Vietnam. Can you imagine preaching in Vietnam in 1971? He traveled all over the country preaching in these different revival meetings. Uh, and, and he had a young man, a 17-year-old man named Ken, who, uh, who was traveling with him. And Hen was his translator. He spoke fluent English. Of course, he was Vietnamese. He was able to translate. Ravi would preach. Hen would translate. And they would work together. They traveled together. They went all over the country. Well, the worst thing imaginable could happen. (laughs) Revival broke out. And hundreds of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. It was awful. Uh, But what was bad was, was Ravi eventually had to leave. He had to go back home. And after the Americans, after Ravi and the other Americans left, the Viet Cong came in and they arrested Ken and they arrested the other men who had worked for, together to, to put this series of revival meetings together. They were thrown in prison. For Hen, they took away his Bible. They took away all of his English books. They took away everything. And they did all that they could to take away his faith. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And we would have to admit that for us in America, persecution is about stories that happen far, far away. Anything that we might experience, that we might think of as persecution, we would have to admit 
we've been inconvenienced at times for our faith. We've been made fun of at times for our faith. But anything that we would experience pales in comparison to what's going on in places like Syria and Iran and other parts of the world. So how do we, as comfortable as we are, how do we view the reality of persecution in the rest of the world? And how do we read for ourselves, for ourselves, texts like this one in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I read those words out of my Bible. My Bible is nice and clean. It's a little scuffed on the sides, but but the words are legible. The, The pages are fine. I read those words without fear of anyone taking my Bible away from me. I read those words without fear of someone imprisoning me because I read those words publicly or or persecuting me in any way or or, or imprisoning me for believing those words. You and I have it pretty easy. And so do, do passages like this even apply to us? What do we do with a passage about persecution like this one? Because as I read the words of Jesus, it appears to me that persecution is to be expected. We ought to expect, if we're Christians, we will be persecuted. Now this passage, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, it comes in as part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a, a three-chapter long sermon that we have of Jesus. It starts from Matthew 5, it's chapter 6, and also chapter 7. Uh, it's it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this particular passage comes at the beginning of the sermon, but at the tail end of something we call the Beatitudes. That's a big word that just simply means blessing. Beatitudes are blessings. It's a series of blessings. The thing about the Beatitudes is they are all difficult blessings. They are hard blessings, but all of them contain wonderful promises. If you begin in Matthew 5.3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5 is one you may have heard before. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We read those blessings, and then at the end of all of these blessings, in verses 9 and 10, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting when we take verse 9 and 10 together. Blessed are the peacemakers. But peace is not always possible. We are to seek peace. We are to seek peace at all costs, but peace could cost us everything. And so when peace costs us everything, we need to be prepared for persecution, but we also need to be prepared for blessing. I told you about Hen being arrested. He spent a year in a Viet Cong prison. A year in in that prison. Every day in that prison, he was beaten. Every day in that prison, he was humiliated because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He spoke English. He read English. He loved the English language. They took away every English book he had. They took away all the English. They only allowed him to read from the great communist thinkers. 
And they only allowed him to read in Vietnamese and French, the, the local trade language. No English at all. And after about a year, I, I think they say it was almost a year to the day, he was so worn out and his faith was worn so thin that Hen began to think, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe God doesn't exist. And he went to bed one night and he said the last thing that he thought that night as he went to bed, he said, I don't think you're there. I don't think you're real. He had had a practice. Every morning he got up and the first thing he did in the morning, he got on his knees and prayed. Every morning he got on his knees and prayed. But that night as he went to bed, he said, I don't think you're there. And when I wake up tomorrow, I am not going to pray. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You notice it doesn't say, blessed are you if others revile you. It doesn't say, blessed are you if others persecute you. It says, when. The bubble of freedom that we live here in the United States is rare. Christians are the most persecuted group of people on the planet. Every month, every month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith in Jesus. There are somewhere in the area of 100 to 200 million Christians worldwide facing persecution right now. Every month, 214 Christian churches and other properties like orphanages and homes and, and hospitals, 214 churches and other properties are destroyed. And yet, you and I came to church today and we weren't afraid of being firebombed for gathering together. We weren't afraid of, of losing our lives. Most of us came, made the choice to come to church today not based on whether or not it was safe, but whether or not it was convenient. And whether or not we actually got that extra hour of sleep last night. You brought your Bible, if you remembered to bring your Bible, or if you thought about bringing your Bible, you, you knew we would have Bibles here for you, but you brought it without fear of being seen walking into the building carrying it, or, or leaving your home carrying it. If persecution is to be expected, what do we do with our lack of persecution? What do we make of, of our lack of persecution? What do we do about those? What do we do for those who are suffering it? How should we respond to their persecution? Well, well according to Jesus' own words here, their persecution isn't about them. Persecution is because of Jesus. Now that, again, this passage comes as part of the Beatitudes. It comes as part of the blessings. And we read, we read there in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. How on earth does that qualify as a blessing? What's the blessing in, in being persecuted? What's the blessing in people telling lies about you because of Jesus? I think it's a blessing because it's not about us. It's a blessing because it's about Jesus. Did you get that? When they say all kinds of things falsely about you on my account. It's not about you because it's false. It's about Jesus. It's on His account. Persecution is because of Jesus. Even more, if it's on His account, persecution belongs to Jesus. It's, it's His. Now, I have to say this. Uh, we need to be really careful about our choices of words here in America. 
I, I think we have, to, we have to do that. Now, my, both of my daughters are here today, and they've heard me say this, and they have to put up with this on a daily basis, pretty much. Uh, and so you guys get to hear it once. And, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I've told them for years. There are certain words that we're not allowed to say in our house. They're not the words you're thinking of. Uh, although those aren't a good, good idea either. But, uh, one of the things you're not allowed to say in our house is you're not allowed to come home and say, I'm starving. And the reason you're not allowed to say, I'm starving, is because as long as you have a choice of eating or not eating, and someone else doesn't have a choice, you're not allowed to call hunger starving. That's one of my nitpicky little things that I make sure doesn't happen in our house. And in the same way, there are a lot of things in our society, in America, that get called persecution, but they really aren't. I'm sorry, but not being allowed to sing Christian songs at the school, at the school holiday program is not persecution. No one's going to put you in prison. No one's going to beat you for 17 years because you wanted to sing Oh Holy Night. It's just not going to happen here. I don't like calling those things persecution. And if you, if you do call them persecution, I think we owe an apology to every Iranian who has had to go identify the body of a loved one based alone on the, on the head because the, the head has been removed. I think we, have to, we owe an apology to everyone who has suffered so much. Those places where, where persecution exists, do you know what their number one request from us is? In those places where persecution exists, their number one request of Christians in America is that we would pray for them. That we would simply pray for them. They don't ask that we would lobby our government. They don't ask that, that we would write our senators and our congressmen. And, and we don't ask that we would uh, seek to, to make trade embargoes against their governments until they treat them more, more humanely. They ask that we pray. It is vital. It is vital that we spend time with God. It's vital that we grow in Him. It's vital that we pray for them and that we prepare ourselves. Jesus says in Matthew 5, just a few verses later, in verse 44, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. One Chinese church leader who spent 23 years in prison, he said this, he said, I was pushed into a cell, but you have to push yourselves into a cell. You have no time to know God. You need to build for yourself a cell so you can do for yourselves what persecution did for me. Simplify your life and know God. Prayer is vital for us and it is vital for them. So Hen woke up and began his first prayerless, faithless day in that Viet Cong prison. And that day... He was, that day was, was absolutely his lowest. He was assigned the task that day of cleaning out the latrine. And as horrible as that sounds, it was worse. He tied a handkerchief around his mouth and mopped and, and, and cleaned this, this horrible, horrible wet floor. The toilet that the officers used was over in the corner. It was disgusting. And sitting next to it was a coffee can 
full of paper, dirty paper. That's what the officers had been using as toilet paper. And so he took the trash and he picked that coffee can up and he was getting ready to dump it in the trash and something, something spoke to him and said, look at the paper. And he looked down and for the first time in a year, he saw English. He saw English writing. He pulled it out. He washed it off. And he hid it in his pocket until later that night. And that night, in his cell with a little flashlight, he pulled that piece of paper out of his pocket. He turned his flashlight on. And he read the words of Romans 8.28. And we believe that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purposes. There in that dark and disgusting place, God reminded him, you may have abandoned me, but I've never abandoned you. I will not leave you alone in this place. And maybe that's why Jesus also tells us that persecution is a matter of rejoicing. Verse 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think Peter must have been paying attention that day while Jesus was preaching. He must have been listening because later Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, he says, But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted in the, for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Persecution is a matter of rejoicing because persecution belongs to Jesus. We bear it for Him. Persecution is a matter of rejoicing because it links us to those great heroes of the faith. Jesus says they persecute you the way they persecuted the prophets before you. And if it links us with those great heroes of the faith, it links us with each other. It links us, us with those who are enduring persecution right now. Persecution makes the whole church stronger and more faithful. It makes us one. And persecution is a reminder to all of us that our hope is not found here on this earth. Later on in, in chapter 6 of, the, of Matthew, and, and continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, Jesus says those words, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead... Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Despite our lack of persecution, you and I know those words are true. You and I know how vital those words are. Can you imagine how much more vital they are for those who have had everything taken away from them. So the next morning, after Hen found that scrap of paper, he went to the commanding officer of the, of the prison and he made a request. He said, would it be okay if I cleaned out the latrines again today? And this may surprise you, but no one had a problem with that. 
Years earlier, someone had given the commanding officer an English Bible, and he was using it as toilet paper. Regularly. <laughs> and every day, Hen would clean out the, 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 the toilet, he'd clean out the latrine, and, and he would find another scrap of paper. And what the commanding officer had used, he would wash off, and, and he would clean off, and he would save it, and he was, he was building his devotions out of what the commanding officer had used as, as toilet paper that day. Every day he continued to read. And it makes me wonder, what qualifies as a damaged Bible? Is a damaged Bible damaged because the cover is damaged? Or is a, is a damaged Bible useless and worthless because there's no hope left in it? How do you take the hope out of something like this? Maybe we need to stop asking ourselves, what can we do for those who are persecuted? Yeah, we, we pray for them, obviously. We, we encourage them. You can even write them letters. You can write letters to people who are in prison right now. We pray for them. But we have to admit, their faith is stronger than ours. Their commitment is, is stronger than ours. And so I think we need to start considering not what can we do for them, but what is their persecution doing for us? What are we gaining from what they are suffering? How are we blessed because of what they're enduring? Perhaps their example of faith and faithfulness under such horrible conditions is there for us. There's a message there for those of us who, those of us who have things easier and yet we still struggle. We still fail. We still lack faith in some very important areas. And, and from time to time, we're, we're tempted to, to give up. Maybe there's a message for us in, in their faithfulness. Whatever, whatever challenges you face this week, your faith can prevail as their faith prevails. You know, we, we may not deal with persecution, but we still struggle. We still struggle with, we struggle with sickness. <laughs> we struggle with faithlessness. We struggle with times that we're tempted to give up. Times that, times that we fear maybe God has abandoned us. Maybe we're going through such a tough time that, that we're afraid maybe God has abandoned us or we have failed Him. What does Hen's story do for our faith? What hope do we gain from stories like his? And how much more firm are we able to stand in our struggles because of the way that he stood firm in his struggles? Hen was eventually released from prison. He moved back into a little apartment. He was released from prison, but he was not released from Vietnam. And it was still a very difficult life. And so he and 52 others built a boat. And they decided they were going to escape the country. They were going to get out. Four days before they were ready to leave, four days before the boat was finished, there was a knock at the door of his, of his apartment. And, and four big Viet Cong soldiers, armed to the teeth, walked in, shoved him up against the wall, and said, we've heard you're trying to escape. And he said, no, I, I wouldn't do that. Don't lie to us. We've heard you're trying to escape. And I, I'm not lying. I wouldn't do that. And they left. And he felt guilty about that. He said, you know, in my darkest hour, Jesus, you, you proved to me that you were there. How dare I try to save myself now by lying? And so Hen began praying, and he prayed that those four men would come back and that he would be able to tell them the truth. The day they were to leave, four days later, 
those men came back. And they said, you're lying to us, aren't you? And he said, yes, I'm lying. We've got a boat. There's 53 of us who are going to escape tonight. Are you going to arrest me again? And they said, no, we want to go with you. (laughs) And telling the story later, he said, you know, if it weren't for those four men, those four soldiers, and their sailing ability, he said, none of us would have survived that trip. None of us would have made it. Now, I know, I know you're not going to be persecuted today. And I know you likely won't be persecuted tomorrow. But stories like Hens and, and so many stories, they are not wasted on our comfort. You hear me? Those stories are not wasted on our comfort. Let them fuel our commitment. Let them encourage us in, in the struggles that we face. And let us pray for them because no matter what we're, what, what blessings we have in our comfort, no matter what blessings they have in their persecution, we, we stand together as one. Let's stand as we pray. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, we are humbled to learn about the millions of Christians who are facing intimidation, discrimination, beating, imprisonment, and even death for their faith. They know where they stand, and they are all in. They are fully committed to following you. Help us not to turn a blind eye to their suffering. We pray that you would strengthen them, and that you would give them grace that they need to endure this persecution. Jesus, you said in your word, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So we pray for those who are persecuting our brothers and sisters in Christ. Put an end to their hostility, to their hatred. Put an end to the hostility in their hearts. And let them come to a saving faith in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.